Welcome to Everyday Martial Artist, a weekly podcast where you'll join me, Brian Doucette, as I interview a different martial artist each episode and hear their story. Some guests you may have heard of, and some you probably haven't. Be sure to subscribe where all your favorite podcasts are available. Also, visit our website at everydaymartialartist.com. If you're listening for a specific interview, I sure hope you'll stay and check out the other episodes. A very special thank you to Topher Williams for our custom theme music. And now, the newest episode of Everyday Martial Artist. Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at KO-Online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today has been a full-time personal trainer since 1994 and also occasionally worked as a bouncer and served in the military. He's authored numerous instructional books and self-defense videos, is the owner of one of the oldest martial arts and self-defense blogs on the internet, and is also a fellow podcaster. He's been training in martial arts for almost 40 years. Please welcome our guest today, joining us all the way from Brussels, Mr. Wim Demir. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me, Brian. Good. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time. I know with the, with the time difference, it can get tricky sometimes, and glad we were able to work it out. Yeah, no, that, that's fine. It, it was uh, just a little bit of a crazy day today, but uh, I'm, I'm glad we managed to figure it out. Oh, me too. How we like to kick it off with, with all my guests, I want to go back to the very beginning, and I just want to know kind of what kicked off your martial arts journey? Where did that first spark come from and where did, what, you know, what led to your first interest in martial arts? Well, I always had this, this interest, uh, just watching, you know, movies and, and, uh, the, the old, uh, Kung Fu TV series and then the, the Bruce Lee movies and mm-hmm. so on that, that were showing on TV. And then by accident, one of my uh, childhood friends, he started training judo and jujitsu and uh asked if i was interested then i was like well i'll give it a try and and that basically was the beginning of the journey this was a traditional jiu-jitsu it wasn't bjj as we know it now okay so it's very different japanese then yes yes and i started doing that went all the way up to orange belt (laughs) which is which is not all that far Mm -hmm. but then a chance encounter um i was at a uh, at a fair uh, in the in the neighborhood and that uh, was um, just by chance one of the guys who was also in the judo jiu-jitsu class said like hey there's this guy doing a kung fu demonstration i was like oh, i'll take a look so i go over and look and i was very much impressed by who would then become my teacher in traditional kung fu they were doing these uh, pre-rehearsed demos of uh, like like you'd see in the in the jackie chan movies and all that kind of stuff and then mm-hmm. Remember, folks, this was a very long time ago, so things were different then. But he would do things like, you know, do do full-on falls on on concrete and uh, things like that, that knowing from judo how hard it is to take a fall like that, I was like, wow. And he would bounce right back up. Later on, I would do these demos as well with him, and and I learned that he was not pulling punches. So uh, one time in the demo, I... I, uh, I tried to evade the incoming technique the wrong way because I was uh, I was not fully focused enough, and he just spinning back kicked me in the face. Ooh, so, uh, <laughs> okay. that was a, that, that was not a good day. <laughs> no, no. So I, I want to back up just a little bit to the jujitsu. You said you only went into through Orange Belt. Now, did you do? Did you get into the competition at all at that time? Or no, there wasn't really a competition back then. Okay, I mean nowadays traditional jujitsu, Japanese jujitsu over here, they have competitions where it's. Um, mostly showing techniques and so on and, and showing combinations. And so it, it stays more technical, not really the, the sparring as, aspect or the, the, the ground grappling. Okay. Um, I, I mean, it might exist now, but I, I haven't seen it yet. Right. Uh, and there wasn't really that. And judo, I, I wasn't really interested at that point in time in competitions. I was also very young. I was 13. So oh, uh, I was okay. really, really into it. So you made the switch, you know, from jujitsu and judo to, to kung fu. What was that like? What was those, maybe those first few classes just, you know, what was your mind thinking? Obviously it was a completely different art, different, you know, different techniques and stuff. So what, what was kind of going through your mind those first few classes uh, when you made that switch? <laughs> that I was uh, woefully out of shape. <laughs> <laughs> I was very strong for my age because I had to work construction as a child. So that wasn't the issue, but we would do two-hour classes. Oh, wow. And the first hour was uh, what my teacher would call warm-up, but that was actually conditioning. So we we would do running, jumping jacks, uh, rolling, and a bunch of stuff, hundreds and hundreds of push-ups and sit-ups and, and all that kind of stuff. So by the end of that first hour, you were pretty much very tired. 
and then the class would start. Um, and my teacher was old school, so uh, it didn't matter how warm it was in, in class. Uh, no, no drinking allowed. So you couldn't drink a sip of water, which I, I later learned that that was very unhealthy, but that was how it was. And back then we would train in this um, former factory, uh, which meant that we were just underneath the roof. Uh, and in winter, it was freezing cold. And in summer, it was blazing hot. So, but back then, there wasn't that much choice. So you just went where you could find some somebody who was teaching. Right. And uh, that's what I did. And I, I very quickly found out that, well, my judo and jiu-jitsu hadn't really prepared me for that. So and, what? And my teacher, my kung fu teacher was also a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So uh, oh, he okay. had started that before. So it's not like he didn't know he couldn't compare or anything. It's just that it was a very different style, right. a very different way of training. Um, all of a sudden, I had to learn forms. Uh, had to do different kinds of partner work and so on. So that, that took a little bit of an adjustment. Okay. And which uh, style of Kung Fu was it? It's called a Hung Chapai, and it, it's closely related to Hungar. Huh. Um, it, it gets to be very, very difficult sometimes to trace back lineages and, and so on. But when I say Hungar, the, the Hungar people get, get a little bit upset if I say that. So <laughs> please don't hold me to it. But for the, for the audience listening who is familiar with that, it would closely resemble that in, in spirit and, let's say, uh, style of techniques. Con, 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 for instance, to Wing Chun, it would be radically different. Okay. You, you wouldn't compare it to that at all. Right. And how long did you stay involved with that system and that school? Uh, I have to think back because it's it's been a f- it's been a while. Uh-huh. It was well over ten years, I think, oh. about thirteen or fourteen years. But I'm wow. I'm not sure anymore because it's uh, I I'm fifty one now. So as I get older, uh-huh. I start um, having to look up stuff like okay, when did I do that? That's <laughs> yep, I know. <laughs> I, the, I, I know the feeling. <laughs> I'm forty nine, so I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so then, now you've studied many other styles. Now, did you? leave kung fu for another style or did you start training another style at the same time you were training kung fu did you start well, training? well i i started training uh in traditional tai chi chuan by accident again so mm-hmm. as a personal trainer i would work out um in a gym near the company that one of my clients had and um we would do strength and conditioning and then like the last 20 30 minutes we would do some martial arts and sparring and we would go to the back room to the the aerobics uh hall there and uh, the owner saw what we were doing. I mean, obviously, I checked with him, and, and we re- rented the room with him, so that was all fine. And he's like, oh, you do martial arts? I said, yes, I do kung fu, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, he said, oh, we've got this guy doing tai chi here. And I was like, yeah, but that's for old people. And he says, no, 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 these guys fight. I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting, because what did I know, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I checked out the class, and um, it was very different from the traditional style that I was practicing. The bottom mechanics were very different, different kinds of techniques. But most of all, we, we did pushing hands. And pushing hands is it's hard to describe because there's different kinds. But this is you could think of it as stand-up grappling. Mm-hmm. There's different variations. And in one exercise, it's called freestyle pushing hands. The goal is you're standing face-to-face with your partner. You, you uh, both have, are in the same lead. You can do your stance wide or narrow. You can be tall or low. It doesn't matter. You can pick. And then the, the goal is using grappling techniques, pushing, pulling, and so on to break the bounds of your partner. Wow. And you have to stay standing. You're not allowed to step or move. Mm-hmm. So if you both fall, nobody gets a point, so to speak. It's very different from the, the regular grappling that people are, are used to. Mm-hmm. There's different kinds where you are allowed to move and step, but this one is, is called fixed step, so you're not allowed to step. I was faced with one of the students who'd been there for a few years, and he was almost half my size. I'm a heavyweight, so I'm a big guy. And he would just break my balance with ease. And the harder I tried to push him over or pull him off balance, the more I fell to the ground. So um, that was an eye-opening experience for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, at first, my ego was a little bit bruised, but I very quickly came to the conclusion that if this guy, who's almost half my size, can do this to a guy like me, what would I be able to do if I can only be as good as this guy? He's not even a teacher. Teacher's much better. If I can get to that level, what could I do to guys my size then? And then it kind of clicked and I discovered this system that is um, very versatile and that allows you a lot of freedom in how you combine techniques and principles and so on. So it, it very much clicked with me. It was um, 
it was just something that, that I discovered like, okay, this is a good fit for who I am, how mm-hmm. I like to train, kind of techniques that I like to do and so on. And it was different enough that it didn't affect your, your traditional Kung Fu training. So, well, it, that, that was kind of, that became an issue after a while. Oh, so I, um, okay. I, I started training very hard in that Tai Chi style and because of the body mechanics were radically different, it conflicted. Oh, okay. So I had to make a choice and I made a choice to stop with the traditional Kung Fu style that I was teaching and, and training for so long because it, it just wasn't compatible. And th- there was some other stuff there as well that, you know, certain techniques and, and things that I, I had trouble with uh, that I, I thought were not. This is true in all styles, in my opinion, that you discover things that mm-hmm. are like, okay, this doesn't make perfect sense to me or the explanation is that I got is I'm not 100% convinced and this has to do with my own experience with violence and so on. So everybody's different in that, and every style has its own little thing. And I found that just you know a little bit of a sidetrack here, but in, in pretty much any system or combat art that I studied, I found that there are some inconsistencies here and there, and there are things that you as an individual might go like, okay, this doesn't, doesn't work for me. Doesn't mean it doesn't work for anybody. Might be that it works for some of your students who are, of a different build, uh, younger than you, older than you, doesn't matter. So the, I think it's very rare that you find a style where every single thing you're like, okay, this is great. This is top-notch. This is 100%. I'm sure it exists, but I've, uh, I'm have i very critical of myself <laughs> to begin with, right. but also of all the arts that I, um, that I train in. And I don't think any system is perfect, but that's just a very personal opinion and people mm-hmm. are free to disagree with me on that. Right. Back to the story, I discovered that the incompatibilities were too great and I had to make a choice. And I found that that she suited me better, but it also was something that I saw that this has a, a longer shelf life. I can do this until I'm older, whereas the Kung Fu style, definitely not. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a young man's uh, art. And uh, a lot of the training was very, very harsh. A lot of focus on uh, conditioning and toughening up your your arms and legs and so on, so that you know a lot of hard contact and um, the, pretty much no rules sparring without protective gear. Wow. So that is kind of stuff that that I think in the long run, you know, you you can't really keep up into your fifties, sixties, and beyond. It's um, right. it becomes very counterproductive. So I, I made a switch to Tai Chi, and, and that's what I've been teaching for the past, uh, let me see, almost 25 years. Oh, wow. Okay. And then you, you've also mixed in other styles, and those ones you've, you've managed to keep training Tai Chi while training other styles. So what was the, what was the next style you picked up? Um, well, I, I have to, again, a little bit of a sidetrack. While mm-hmm. I was already doing the uh, traditional Kung Fu, I would. I, I started competing full contact when I was about, I think, eighteen years old, and that was. Uh, it's called Kinda, which is kind of like Kyokushinkai, which oh, is okay. um, you have. You're basically almost bare knuckled. You're, you're allowed to punch and kick, and sometimes, depending on the rule set of the competition, knee strikes as well. Uh, throwing, sweeping is allowed. No ground fighting, but no punches to the head, which is very annoying. But mm-hmm. uh, that's what it was like. So I started with that. Did a bunch of competitions uh, with that, and then eventually got into Sanda or Sancho, which is the Chinese version of kickboxing, mm-hmm. which does allow punches to the head uh, and is particularly interested in throwing techniques in which you stay standing. And the particularity of that kind of format is that you fight on a platform. Imagine a boxing ring, but no ropes. Oh, wow. And okay. if you fall or get pushed or kicked or whatever off the platform twice in one round, you lose a round. So and 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 that appealed to me because it, it had the um, environmental aspect that you find in self defense, uh, which is so critical. Mm-hmm. That that played a huge role, much much more than uh, when I went to boxing gyms, Muay Thai and kickboxing gyms as well. Did all that training too, but that you know leaning into the ropes was not an option for us. So it became much more important to look at your footwork and understand where you are on the fight surface. Is, is how much more can I back up before I run into trouble? And how am I, am I going to circle around this guy or cut an angle to make sure that he ends up in a worse position close to the edge of the platform than I am? So it's, it's a very different way of thinking as a combat sport. And I did that for a while. So that was a big part of it. And because, again, this is a long time ago, there wasn't that much of a choice of uh, training venues. So I would go to Muay Thai and kickboxing gyms uh, to train because they were 
those where guys were fighting full contact as well. And the rule set was relatively similar, though not completely. And then a big part of the other styles that I st- studied was uh, Southeast Asian styles. So uh, some uh, Kali, uh, Silat, uh, and then Kuntao. Spend a fair amount training with that as well. And then a, a bunch of different uh, self-defense systems from different people, which is what we see nowadays more more like instructors develop their own self-defense system and, and so on. So I would cross-train with a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a while now, I've, I've had my own small little training group, private training group that I've been working with for several years. And we just uh, experiment a lot. Okay. So when you when you're teaching now you're not just teaching one style, you're blending, you're using what works. Well, when I'm teaching it depends. So I have my own class that I teach twice a week mm-hmm. and first hour and a half it's uh tai chi, so the, the style that I've been practicing for so long. And the second hour and a half which is different students obviously, it, I teach MMA. Okay. So I just transitioned a while ago and um why for several reasons again, uh, Sancho as a sport Again, I, there was always a limitation because you weren't allowed to do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, thought, I always found that very annoying. And then when many years ago, mixed martial arts came onto the scene, I was like, okay, this is, this is much freer now. You're allowed to do so much more, especially in the beginning. Now there's a, more rule sets, more um, techniques are no longer allowed. And, and that's fine. There's, there's more than enough that you can do in the sport of MMA. So uh, I was drawn to that more, so I started training in that a little bit and uh, eventually began teaching it as well. Very cool. So think back then to all the way back to Kung Fu when you first started teaching to now. What do you think has changed the most about your teaching style over the years? If if I compare to that era, it's mostly that um, I teach now much wider than how I wanted to train. Back then, I was much more strict with students, and I set a very high standard, uh, or let's say a much higher standard, the same standard than I would set for myself, and I would expect them to try to keep up. Obviously, understanding that not everybody had the same physical traits or mindset, but just like, okay, we're here to train, and we want to train hard. Whereas nowadays, um, I'm more along the lines of, okay, everybody has his own reasons to train. I don't discriminate. Uh, I will give whatever the students. I think will be able to absorb and push that student to the intensity level that I that I think they can work with. And if I'm wrong, we can dial it back a little bit and and uh, take it down a notch. And if they can keep up, we can pick up the pace a little bit more and so on. So it's much more tailored to the students in particular. And at the same time, uh, I, I have come to accept, I, I guess maybe a little bit of wisdom got into my uh, into my brain over the years is that okay not everybody trains the same way that i want to train for mm-hmm. the same the same goals so now it's much more look i will for instance give a student like okay if you want to advance here's a drill that you should maybe practice for do it every day for five minutes for a week or two and you will make very 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 quick and and fundamental progress because it will fix something specific that you're struggling with right now and if they do it, I tell them, I like, okay, it's great. You did it. Now I can show you the next thing. If they don't do it, I will say it again. But I'm like, look, you don't have to do it for me. And I'm perfectly fine repeating the same correction to you over and over. I just think it's going to be frustrating for you. So maybe it would be better if you, you know, actually do the drill that I'm suggesting. But if you don't, that's fine. It's just that I can't, I can't show you the next thing because it's built upon the thing that you you right now are having trouble with. So it's, it's a little bit vague, but to mm-hmm. make it a little bit more concrete, let's say that you're in a, in a specific stance and you, you need to be able to align your support foot and your support knee while you do a hip rotation. Okay. Many people, when they practice, uh, students will have trouble keeping the knee aligned with the foot and they put torque on their knee, which eventually will... Uh, cause problems with the knee and, and yep. could uh, have meniscus tears and so on that eventually that you that you run into. So to avoid that and also to make sure you develop good body mechanics, it is imperative that they learn to control that alignment of the knee over the foot. And I have specific drills that I can give them to practice at home that, that work specifically on that. And once they have sufficient control, everything else becomes easier because they fixed a fundamental body mechanics problem that they were having. And I know that this is the first step in what comes after, 
is that if they can do that, then they can learn the next thing which will improve their bowling mechanics. But if they can't even keep that knee aligned, the structure that they're they're supposed to be building with their body is just not there. It's not strong enough to withstand some of the pressure that it should be able to withstand later on. So I don't know if that makes sense. Completely, yes. I like that. That's really good. Now, you've been a personal trainer since 1994. Now, do you find yourself using some of your martial arts training with your personal training clients? Yeah, so my personal training started basically out of the the Kung Fu class that I was teaching. A few people asked for private lessons, and that basically um, got out of hand, and I and I made it my job. So I started with the the martial arts training, and then because I was competing back in the, in the day, uh, I did so much conditioning that I had a fair amount of knowledge uh, about that myself. So people started asking me for that as well, and over the years, um, I've tried to keep up with the developments in sports science, obviously, and been training. Let's say it changes from year to year, but overall, I would say about half the personal training clients that I have, it's something to do with martial arts and self-defense or combat sports, and the other half is strength, conditioning, health, uh, weight loss, and and related, so fitness-related. Okay. When did the idea for the blog start, and, and how long has that been going on? I think it was... In 1997, wow. if I'm not mistaken, so a long time. The, the the internet was new, and I just wanted to do something with the internet <laughs> because back then, I mean, you, for now, people look at the internet like, of, of course it's there, but <laughs> it didn't used to be like that. Yeah. I mean, I had a dial-up modem, for Christ's sake. It was just oh, yeah. Like, I had one on my Commodore 64 in 1986. <laughs> right. So you, you know what we're talking oh, I know, about. And, I know. And, <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, just want to try this. And remember that there were big journals and newspapers of writing articles like, yeah, that, that internet thing, it's already over. It's not going to last. Don't put your money into it and so on. Mm-hmm. That literally is what they were saying back then. So and I was like, I want to try something. And my ISP back in the day, Gave, I think it was like 10 megabytes of uh, web wow, space. That's huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eventually gave 50. Nice. <laughs> and uh, what's it called again? AOL Press is the first uh, software that I used that would allow you to make HTML pages. And then you had to manually upload them to the web space that you had. And I did basically a website in which I did book reviews, video reviews, and video, I mean uh, VHS tapes because that was what we had back then. Mm-hmm. Wrote some articles, did some interviews and so on, just because I just wanted to do something on the internet. I'm a little bit of a nerd. So that was, uh, I had fun doing that mm-hmm. and got in touch with a bunch of uh, authors that I, I was reading their books anyway, like Mark McYoung, Lauren Christensen and so on. So um, I would ask them like, hey, you know, <laughs> can I do a book review of you of yours? Or and, and this is how long ago that was, but... Because everybody was figuring out what the etiquette would be on the internet. And I, I would actually ask and email these people. I was like, is it okay if I put a link to your website on my website? <laughs> so um, nowadays things are very different. So yes. that's when I started. And then for a variety of reasons, I stopped working on, on that website for a while. And then all of a sudden blogging came in. And, and one of the main reasons why I stopped is that the software that you needed the technical expertise you needed to make a good website. That was just beyond me. And then WordPress came along and blogs came along and a lot of the problems that I had on the technical front, they just went away. It was just automated and it worked quite well. And I was like, okay, let me try a blog. And that's been going, uh, yeah, for a long time now. Um, I'd have to look it up, but at least Mm -hmm. 15 years if it's not 20. Okay. Um, and uh, still, still doing that. Now, the the original one you had is is any of that stuff still out there? The one from back in ninety seven? No, I have it archived oh. uh, somewhere on a hard disk. Um, but pretty much all that stuff is is like a lot of it is is just about videos that are no longer available, mm-hmm. like VHS tapes that are just don't exist anymore. And, and some of the articles, in hindsight, they were not that great because <laughs> I was just learning to write. So uh, right. If you write, you know, or if you make instructional videos, you know mm-hmm. that the first thing you do, it, it it sounds like a great idea in your head. And then you put it on paper or on video and they're like, okay, this is crap. This doesn't, this <laughs> yeah. is not good. 
but but I still have all that stuff again saved uh, on a hard drive. But uh, that's good. That's really. That's I wish I. It's a good place to keep it. I know. I I did. I built my first ever website in I think it was ninety nine. 99,000 through when, when tripod first launched, if you remember tripod, they used to give like free websites and Oh, right. No, no, right. Right. I do remember. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And the funny part is I just like six months ago, I was bored and looked it up and the website's like, I can't access it anymore, but the website is still there. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, that's bad. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I used Dreamweaver back in the day. I remember that. I remember that. I'm it's trying to remember the program I used. Yeah, there there was one. It was yeah. something something magic, like ma- magic HTML or something like that. I think that my friend gave me, and that's what I used to build my first site. Yeah, there, there was so many back in the day, and some were good, some were like, okay, horrible. you still needed to have a lot of HTML coding skills, and I just didn't have those. Yeah. See, at least you archived and saved everything. I wish, like, I started in radio when I was 15, and I wish I had recordings of a lot of, like, my radio shows and some of my interviews and reviews and stuff and I, I just i have a handful from the late 90s but i started in radio in 89 wow. and, and a lot of that stuff i just did I actually no i think 2000 was the first time i started actually like recording because the radio station i worked at had a a cd burner built in so you could record your shows so <laughs> i went yeah. and bought a bunch of blank cds and started recording all my shows back then but anything before that i had none of that none of, none of the commercials i did or anything and i, I wish i did so then how about that? I'm assuming the writing the blog that kind of led to you writing books or did were the books? Yeah. First? The blog was already started. If I'm not, no, the blog wasn't started. Um, mm. It was still on my old site and I was actually in the email list that Mark McKeown had, which uh, is called the animal list. And uh, we, uh, there was a bunch of people on there, uh, like Mark McKeown, Alan Bowie, Storm Christensen and so on. And uh, at one point in time, Lauren asked a question about an Aikido technique. And, and I just happened to have a, an Aikido video. And I said, look, you know, if you like, I can send it to you because I know it's really well explained with this one. So I sent him that video. We got to talking a little bit of, uh, you know, via email. And um, he'd seen some of my stuff that I'd been writing on my, on my site back then. And I said, you know, would you like to write a book together? I was like, uh, what? <laughs> Me? <laughs> and... Um, Obviously, I was very flattered and very intimidated at the same time. And Lauren first had me write an article for the police magazine that he was writing for about uh, conditioning and for, for law enforcement. Did that, and I think he thought it was good enough to start writing a, a book together. And he basically showed me the ropes, taught me how to write instructional books and so nonfiction, how to write those for a martial arts and self-defense audience. And uh, the, the joke that he once said is that at first I couldn't get you to write anything, and uh, and then now I can't get get you to shut up because I was <laughs> writing too much. So um, again, Lauren Christensen is my mentor. I learned so much from him. So if anything that I write or the videos that I make uh, are helpful for somebody, thank him first. So okay. Without him, I, I wouldn't have been doing this. So we wrote our first book, The Fighter's Body, and then wrote a few more and. Um, that was basically the start of my writing. Yeah, I was just, just reading about the fighter's body. That that was uh, looks like. I mean, that looks like it would be a good. I mean, not just for martial artists, for anybody, anyone, anyone interested in fitness and getting healthy and losing weight. I would say that. I mean, it's most of it is still more than good enough for most people. Mm-hmm. Obviously, has as sports science has evolved, as you know, nutritional science has evolved. There's some things that are a little bit out of date. Okay. That's the only qualifier that I would give. I think overall the, the advice in there is pretty good. But, you know, all this, this is the way science works. It evolves, it changes, mm-hmm. and some things are left to the wayside that we're like, nope, this is actually not a good idea. And other things uh, we discover like, yes, these are still the fundamentals. And and that is, that is um, I think, the best way to view that book. It's, I'm trying to think, but it's, well over 20 years ago, I think that I wrote that. Oh, wow. Any, so cha- of, any thoughts of updating that. it and doing a new and like version 2.0? Yes, I have a, a fuller system for all my writing. Okay. And there's, I think about 40 something IDs, projects and books in some sort of state of development in there. Some are just at the ID state. Some have numerous chapters written already. Wow. But um, the Fighter's Body 2 is something that I, I, I would like to do. The only thing 
that is stopping me is the tremendous amount of research that I'd have to do. Mm -hmm. Because if you go in the back of the first one, you see a lot of resources and you see a lot of citations like, where is this? Where does this research paper where did that come from? Which site did you find that? And so on. So there is a lot of work. Right. Research is a lot of work, and unfortunately, I, I just don't have the amount of time to do such an amount to put a lot of time and effort into the in-depth research because there's so much more information today than there was back then. Right. So it would be even more time-consuming, and and also it's. Um, let, let's just say that that's not my favorite part of writing. <laughs> okay. Let's leave it I, I at that. I get that. I get that. Okay. <laughs> then how about the uh, instructional and training videos? When when did that start? When did you decide to start doing those? Well, I did a few on my old website oh, wow. uh, already, but just small stuff. Uh, nothing, and again, just the bandwidth wasn't there to, <laughs> to do uh, high definition. High definition didn't even exist. So Yeah. But then... Um, I got in touch with the people at Paladin Press, thanks to Lauren Christensen recommending me to them. Met up with the guys and made a proposal for the, the Combat Sancho series that I wrote um, the proposal for, and they accepted it. And then um, we did a, a three-part DVD series, so three big chapters, both of them were multiple DVDs back then. So they told me that at that point in time, that was like the the longest video shoot they'd ever done. So it's a lot of content. And um, I still, Proudly Press no longer exists. They uh, they stopped operating after the founder passed away, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But I still offer those. You can you can uh, stream them from uh, um, from my, my Vimeo account. So people can still get those. So I did a, several with them. Okay. And uh, that was great. But uh, then, you know, Proudly Press basically changed directions a little bit. I couldn't really follow completely. I wasn't sure how it would be, what would be the best way to proceed. And also that for them, it was quite expensive because they had to fly me in from Brussels. So uh, put me up in a hotel and so on. So that would be quite expensive every single time compared to uh, having, you know, instructors from the US to to fly in or drive in to to record videos. Right. So there was a little bit of a logistical problem on that end. And then eventually I started doing stuff on YouTube a little bit more. And then about five years ago, I started my own Patreon. And there are hundreds and hundreds of videos on there now. Nice. Uh, I, I do about an hour and a half of videos for Patreon every month. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's a fair amount. Good. And anything from Q&As to instructional videos to what I do a lot of is violence analysis. So we take footage of an actual whether it's a street fight robbery or some kind of violent encounter that is called on cell phone or on CCTV. And then I do an analysis of that and try to draw out the lessons that we can learn from that. Okay, cool. And then how about the, the podcast? When did, uh, when did that idea pop into your head and how did that start? That's also a few years ago when podcasting became more popular. And I think there's the theme here. So if there's a new technology, I, I like to play with it and <laughs> yep. see what it, what it would do. But also... Eventually, I figured out like okay, the the good thing about the, about writing is that it clarifies things that are in my head, and then obviously I can let people read that. But I write so much slower than I can talk, so it's a it's a different way of getting thoughts out of my head and putting them out there. Hopefully, that people find the use for them. And the background of that is that I spend a lot of time on the road going to clients because I don't have a home gym that I. Uh, accept clients into oh, or okay. I don't have a, a gym that I go to but I always go where the people live so that means a lot of time on the road a lot of time to listen to think and so on so um, what I would do for a podcast episode is I, I'd have a topic and just while I'm on the road I'm, I'm just thinking things through what do I think about this do I need to research something do I need to try this out in training and so on and then I write a script and then I just talk about it on the podcast and the other aspects, the interviews that I did, I try to do more of those, mm -hmm. which is basically people that I find interesting. I talk to and we have a talk and I, the interviews are less strict now than they are before. Now it's more just a conversation. And I obviously do have some questions, but I'm more trying to get to know the person that I'm talking with. And just, just like, as if I would meet them the first time and we're, we're having coffee or beer somewhere and just, just talking about all sorts of things. I, I do try to stay on track and that's why 
Uh, my patrons, they ask me, they give me questions to ask for the bonus episode that I do with my guests. And that's a little bit more strict. That's like, okay, ask the questions to the guest and, uh, and they respond. And right. I just enjoy the talking with a bunch of people. It's just an excuse for me to meet a bunch of people that I normally wouldn't meet. Yep. And we hopefully have a good conversation and I get to learn things, which is what I'm, uh, I'm very much enjoying as well from, from podcasting. Definitely. So is there a, a dream guest you haven't had on yet that you're hoping to get? Not really. Uh, I have a long list of guests that I'd like to talk to. Okay. The biggest thing is uh, I'm not Joe Rogan, so I don't have <laughs> millions of people listening. Yep. And nowadays, I mean, the more you go for, let's say, higher profile guests, the more that you have to get through, um, let's call it their handlers or their agents or the people handling information requests. And then they send you a list of like, okay, so uh, how many listeners do you have? Where will you promote this? How much money will you spend on promoting this podcast episode? And so mm-hmm. on. And, and that's not really how I operate. So right. um, I understand that for, I mean, they don't, nobody owes me anything. Nobody has to come on my podcast, but if the requirement for me to get one of these higher profile guests is like, well, you know, you, you're going to have to pay X amount of dollars uh, in promotional costs and so on. I'm like that kind of defeats the purpose one thing I did promise myself is that I would not put up money for all the stuff I do online. Correct. So I'm not going to pay for it myself. And I'm extremely fortunate that I have my patrons supporting me uh, for all these years uh, because that's what pays the bills, the web hosting, the podcast hosting, uh, the software that I use to make the videos, to, to do all the technical sting, things mm-hmm. and so on. Because I know myself, if I don't hold myself to, to that standard, <laughs> I would... I would go broke just uh, <laughs> using all the cool equipment that I think I could buy and software and this and that. So yeah. there's a limit to what I'll do podcast-wise, and, and um, I'm not going to start investing uh, thousands of dollars to get a particular guest. Yeah, and and I got to tell you, don't you know, don't sell yourself short because I've been lucky. I've had some big names on mine, and I've only had to deal with like an assistant once or twice. A lot of the celebrities themselves manage their own social media and often they will respond. I mean, I've had people who have been in like, you know, Marvel and Star Wars stuff. I've had stars of, you know, hit CBS TV series and it's, it's all been actually easy to get to them. You know, people from the Karate Kid movies. And <laughs> I've only had two guests ever try to charge me. So <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll go over your guest list and see if I can hit up some of those people. Yeah. Then, and I noticed we've actually had, we've actually had a handful of the same guests. Well, one of the most fun guests I think I had, which would be more high profile would be Mark DeCascos. I just saw his name in there. I'll have to chat with you. Cause he's one I've been trying to get. He's a great guy. Yeah. I mean, and everybody, I know some people in Hollywood and everybody's the same thing. He's just this awesome guy. Very humble. Yep. Uh, he, he still trains very hard. It's very impressive. And just, just a wonderful person. That's yeah. Like, that's I saw. I just literally, as you said it, I just scrolled on his name, and he's one of my he's one of my dream guests. He's one I've wanted to have for a while. So he's he's great, and um, he's he's obviously very busy because yes. Um, yes. When I first contacted contacted him, I think it was almost a year later when we finally managed to sit down and talk. So mm-hmm. he's extremely busy, as as obviously all these actors are. So uh, that that's normal, and, and and I don't mind. Obviously, it's oh yeah, busy. it's worth the wait. I've had two that I've had to wait though. Uh, Don the Dragon Wilson took yeah. me almost a year and a half to get, and and same with Barry. <laughs> Barry was quite a while. He was very busy too, and it it just happened to work out one time that we did it. And it, 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 with, with Barry, it was too. It was uh, probably about a year, year and a half or more. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's he's crazy busy. I know that. <laughs> but no, I mean that's congrats on the success so far. I mean it's it's you, a lot of great guests, and I'm I'm definitely gonna be listening to more, and and we'll have to keep it. And like I said, any of my guests you want to reach out to, let me know. I'm glad to put you in touch with them and. Cool, thanks. I'll, I'll take a look. Yeah, and the, the thing I found this, and it's true with anything on the internet, with blogging, podcasting, and so on, is just to keep going and not wait for like the big break or anything. Yes. Just keep going. I can't tell you how many of the blogs that I read like 15 years ago, really big followings, loads and loads of people visiting the blog every day. Mm-hmm. And that was both before social media was actually got really big. Um, you could see it in the comment section. They had tons of comments and so on. And some people would put hit counters on their websites, uh, on their on their blog posts. Like you could see how many people had actually liked or shared that blog post. And I had a tiny blog in comparison. They're mm-hmm. gone. 
there are so many of them that are just disappeared. Yep. You know, maybe my my stuff will not be the most popular ever, but I'll just keep going for as long as I can and and mostly as long as I as I enjoy it. Yeah. That's the big thing is it needs to be fun because life's too short to not do to do a bunch of stuff that you really don't want to do. As long as you're enjoying it, that's the most important thing. And and when when other people can enjoy it also, that's just a bonus. Yeah. I agree. So I know, you know, you, you've talked about, you know, you, you teach MMA and stuff. And so I'm just curious on, on your thoughts on like the, the UFC and MMA. Now, is that something, are you more of a fan of uh, old school UFC, like from the, the early nineties or what has become today? The thing that is, is that this is a, a young man's sport. So that's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you're young, you want to do crazy stuff and so on. <laughs> yep. So I, I did my share of, of crazy fights and, and, and so on. So it's not really that I disagree or anything. I, I very much understand that. But when you look at it from the perspective of professional athlete, longevity is an issue. And in combat sports, on average, if you can get to a 15-year-long career, that's pretty good. Yes. Now I do know. Yes, you've, you've got people in the in the UFC that are you know 40 and beyond and who are still competitive. Yes, but but overall, that is more the exception than the rule. So let's say that if you start competing when you're 20, let's say that's when your professional career starts. If you can go to 35, that's about the time where you will see that conditioning-wise, speed-wise, and so on, things will start to slow down. Now, you have a ton of experience, obviously, but it's going to be difficult to keep up with guys 10, 15 years younger than you, just physically speaking. And then if we if we look at the very early UFCs, the, the rules that were used back then we would see some very horrible, horrible uh, fights now that end really badly. Mm-hmm. If, if with the level of training and conditioning that exists now, and then you see you see uh, guys who are in tremendous shape start fighting under the, oh, the the rules from back then, I think we'd see a lot of a lot of injuries. You see it a little bit in bare knuckle boxing, where obviously they can only fight uh, using the using the fists. But I mean, look at how some of these guys are cut up and, and bruised and so on. The, the bruises that, that tends to heal and so on, but you don't want to end up with a truckload of scars on your face. Well, maybe you do, but <laughs> <laughs> as, as a sport, uh, it's not something that I think long-term is good for you. So right. I, I think it, it all had its place. Yeah. The, the first, let's say the first 10 years of the UFC, we saw a very big evolution from just brawling in the first few uh, events to let's say more or less professional people who started to slowly emerge and then bit by bit we saw um, the dominance of the Gracie family go away a little bit where everybody else would catch up with the the grappling Mm -hmm. and then we now get to the point where there's professionals who actually start learning MMA in an MMA gym they don't start from a wrestling base and then they do boxing and then they, they do Muay Thai they learn MMA from the get-go, meaning if you study Muay Thai, it's great. I, uh, I trained in it myself, so it's a great combat sport. But not all the techniques are adapted to the MMA rule set. So you have to change them a little bit. You have to tweak them. Doing so takes time to figure all that out. Well, now we have coaches who've already done that. 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. Yeah. Uh, the UFC is about 30 years old now. Mm-hmm. So let's say 25 years ago, that wasn't the case. You, you had Muay Thai guys who would enter but they didn't, didn't have the, the, the groundwork. They didn't have the BJJ or, and so on. You'd have wrestlers enter or boxers, but they didn't have the other uh, aspects of, of the fight. So that's very different nowadays. And I think the rule sets, uh, the rule set as it is now with the, with the gloves and so on and certain techniques not being allowed, I think it's a good thing. Let's say the, the one thing that makes a big difference is a soccer kick to the head on a downed opponent right? where you can kick somebody in the face. For the people who who forget, look at the old Pride uh, competition, Pride in Japan. That was like in the nineties. They yep. allowed that stomping, stomping. Yep. Yeah, that's a totally different kind of fight that you see. Mm-hmm. And if you just want to go for brutal, okay, the, then that's the rules set for you. I think as a sport, it has more of a future the way it is now. Right. So I, I'm a fan. I mean, I watch the fights. Uh, my my son does BJJ, so uh, he. Uh, and my daughter likes it too, so we often watch the fights, uh, the fights the three of us. That's cool. All right, so in all your years of martial arts, almost 40 years of martial arts, is there one philosophy that stands out? It just rises to the top of your list. You keep coming back to it? This is kind of the, 
let's say the the motto is not maybe the best way to describe it, but this is kind of overall philosophy of of what I what I do, uh, and I call it Randy's Law, and that means the differences are just as important as the similarities. And uh, Randy Brannon, and, and I've, I've got a, a link on, uh, I've got an article on my blog about Randy's law. And basically, he's a very, very smart person. And he talked in in an email on Mark's, Mark Jung's email list many years ago about the, the physics involved with sword fighting. And one of the things he wrote, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because it's easier to explain it that way, that when you look at Filipino styles, they often use the stick as like this universal weapon. Uh, I don't know if you've practiced Filipino martial arts. Very little, just just some seminars, nothing, nothing okay. in depth. Okay, so then what they often have is, is a, a numerous system of striking angles. Let's say from right high to left low would be angle number one. From left high to right low would be angle number two and so on. Now, and you learn to these angles, depending on the system, there might be more, uh, nine or 10 or 12 or more, it doesn't matter. And then if you can do it with a stick, you can also do them with a sword, with a machete, with a knife, and so on. Mm-hmm. And the stick is often used as a training weapon, as a more as a universal stand-in for these other weapons. But one of the things Randy pointed out there was that that is true. However, the differences between each weapon are just as important as the similarities. And that means that, for instance, if you use a stick against a machete, the machete will bite into the wood. Oh, yes, we can do, we can start talking about different hardness of wood and so on. So the, the type of wood that you use, but that just proves the point because different types of wood also have different characteristics. So the differences matter, and that is something that for me was like a, a flashbulb moment where I like I, I latched onto that. So I always look at what is different. What do I already know? What is different? And what do I already know is something that is very difficult to answer sometimes because you might see superficial similarities that upon later uh, examination turn out to be not the case. And this coincided with not that that long after I would read an article and that was an interview with a, a Chinese martial arts teacher who would practice, I think, six or seven styles. And the interviewer asked him, okay, how can you keep them all separate in your head and how, do you, how can you learn all those styles? And he says, that's very easy. Don't learn the same thing twice, <laughs> which is the same thing as Randy's law, but stated differently. Right. And I very much disagree when people say a punch is just a punch, or there are only so many ways that you can you know, punch or kick mm-hmm. or do a front kick or do a cross or do a reverse punch. I very much disagree with that because the differences are just as important as the similarities. You can have a karate guy punch you, have a boxer punch you you can have a muay thai guy punch you have a kung fu guy punch you and all and all they do is throw the right straight punch from a left lead they're all going to be different they have different purposes mm-hmm. they do different goals different body mechanics with their own strength and strengths and weaknesses and so on so for me that's the nuance is where it lies that's where the knowledge lies it's not difficult to look for the similarities there are some caveats there there are some traps that you're supposed to avoid but overall the main aspect is trying to figure out, okay, what is different? What What is new for me? And I think that is the best way to keep on learning. So whenever I see something, I try to figure out, okay, wh- what can I learn from this? What, what is different from what I do and why? And that is the, that is the big question, why? Not just like, okay, we do it this way. Why? Well, because. No, that's not an answer. You need to know why you're doing things. Right. That's a great answer. I love that. So who are... Three, four, five names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts. It's a little bit difficult for me to answer that question because <laughs> I, I was never all that much into idolizing people. Okay. Uh, not even as a kid. I would have some posters on my wall as a teenager, but not not that much. Mostly because they looked cool, but not that, you know. I had one from Freddy from Nightmare on Elm Street. Not that he was nice. my idol, but that was a scary poster and I was into horror movies. That's just cool. to give you an idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Um, when I, when I say Mount Rushmore, it wouldn't necessarily be like, for me, these are the best people ever in martial arts, mm-hmm. but they were very influential for me. I think they, they deserve recognition. Okay. So the first would obviously be uh, Lauren Christensen. Nice. Because um, uh, obviously he's written so many books that, that are like excellent, excellent material. He's been there, done that. Law enforcement, uh, MP in Vietnam. I mean, I don't know. I forget how many black belts he has. Um, he's an he's an 
excellent martial artist. He has a tremendous amount of real-life violence experience. He's a scholar. He's very smart. Uh, he has an excellent sense of humor, which is also very nice uh, when you meet somebody like that. At the same time, he's very humble. And I think he should get more credit than he gets. Okay. Um, I, I think he's written a tremendous amount of very influential books that maybe because it's it, that some of them are a little bit older, that people forget how influential they, they were at the point at that point in time and still are today. But that's just me. And and obviously I'm biased because I learned so much from him personally. Right. And I consider and obviously he's a friend also. So uh, that that would be uh, my number one pick. The second would be Dan Doherty, which is uh, the unfortunately late head instructor of the Tai Chi style that I that I teach. He was a very interesting man of Scottish descent. Started with karate and then went to Hong Kong to learn Tai Chi. He was a police officer there. He did a, a fair amount of uh, of real world violence. Mm-hmm. That uh, he worked vice. He worked a bunch of different uh, different things in 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 uh, the police force there. Competed full contact in uh, in Asia and uh, basically had a Tai Chi Chuan style that is actually practical that you can use for self defense as opposed to what most people think Tai Chi is just a walking you know meditation uh, and so on which is by far not the case. It's Tai Chi Chuan. Chuan means fist and is basically the way that in Chinese martial arts you would categorize a martial art uh, the fist of Tai Chi, the fist of this, the fist of that. So that's uh, so it's Tai Chi Chuan, it's not Tai Chi that I do and that he taught. Dan uh, had a law degree. He would fluently read and write uh, Mandarin and Cantonese. He would translate very old Chinese texts and poetry and, and he could kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But also, um, I mean, he was very outspoken when something was wrong. He was not afraid to say it, but he, was, he always treated me great. He's very kind and friendly and generous to me. And he was by far, physically speaking, one of the most impressive martial artists that I've ever worked with and, and actually crossed hands with. There's stuff that he did that I, to this day, can't replicate. Wow. I just uh, don't know how he did that, and I can't do it to other students. Some of the highest level of martial arts that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, he passed away not that long ago, So, um, but he definitely definitely re- deserves to be uh, on that Mount Rushmore of mine. Okay. And then one more person would be Bob Orlando. Is my uh, he was my Kuntao teacher. Also passed away a few years ago. I was very fortunate to to get to know Bob on a personal level, not just as a teacher, but also again having as as my friend. And he was an excellent, excellent teacher. Bob was very methodical. He was a programmer. He was um, very logical, very structured, and so on. So. And, and he would say, you know, he'd, he'd make the joke that his spontaneity came by rote, uh, which is a contradiction in terms. But but his the way his mind worked, the way he could break things down, analyze them, and then create a curriculum to teach something. If I am anything as a teacher, much of it is thanks to Bob's influence. Because he showed me how you can set a very high standard of teaching and how you can create a curriculum, a system of martial arts or self-defense in a certain way which is very difficult to do well. And I I think this is something that is worth studying. The other aspect to Bob is that he was a very religious man, but he never imposed it on me or anybody else. We talked about it, but I said, look, you know, that's not me. And he was perfectly fine with that. He was just a a very generous person and and always just willing to help, just trying to help out. And and as well, mind you, I mean, you shouldn't have to come up to him with nonsense because he would tell you to your face that you were full of it. But <laughs> okay. politely, but you know, he he didn't suffer fools gladly. Uh, but he was very polite, but very straight and straightforward as well. And and again, the it's the personality part, but also the the martial arts skill, obviously. But most of it for me was was learning to be a, a better teacher. That that's thanks to him. Nice. Okay, that's a great, great Mount Rushmore. That would be the, the tree I would, I would, uh, I would put up there. Perfect. All right, I got a few fun questions to wrap it up. Now, this one you can't pick one of your own. A favorite martial arts book? Hmm, that's that's difficult because there's so many that I've read. <laughs> yep. If you want, if you want to name two or three, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, my library is in the other room because otherwise I could just quickly take a glance at uh, 
at some of them. I, I think solo training by Lauren Christensen would be one of them. Okay. Because this is one of the reasons why Lauren and I, we get along so well is, is I like to do solo training too. So does he. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of people don't. And I think it's, it's, this is the difference with a lot of people is that they just train in class and, and you can train hard there, yep. but then that's it. And you have to do like, like four or five classes a week then if you really want to advance. Mm-hmm. Most people have one or two classes a week, I think. Now, I would come home after my class and I would keep training because I was afraid that I would forget because I, I don't learn easily. I yeah. learn better now, but back then I was just a beginner. So I, and I was like, I, I, I want to get better. I want to be, be better than, than, than I am now. So I would train by myself and, and I still do. So definitely there. And I think okay. it's a book that is extremely helpful for, um, for many people. And then the other one, which, which I think is, is a, an important work, is Dan Doherty's complete Tai Chi Chuan. Okay. Which he covers all aspects of uh, Tai Chi in general, and in particular, the art that he taught and that I also teach. And um, th- there's some of the stuff that people disagree with, and that it's fine, and some of the historical stuff and so on. There are some things in there that I know why he wrote that in there and who he's talking about. And if you're not really in the Tai Chi scene, you won't know, or you might mistakenly think you do, and so on. So that is that is also a fair criticism that people might have. But overall, it is an excellent work to give you a good idea of like, okay, what is the art actually about? What are all the different aspects? And then some more context about Chinese society, Chinese language, culture, mm-hmm. and so on, which is very important to understand okay. if you practice the art. I still regularly open the book and page through it and, and reread certain things. And I've nice. had it for, for well over, I think, 20 years now. Okay. I'm definitely going to uh, look at that the solo training one because I'm one too. I, like when I was younger, I always had two, three friends I could count on to train at any time. But as you know, get older and people get married and have lives, that's it's hard. So solo training is <laughs> is important. I know when yeah. I was when I was in my twenties, we had about four of us that you know we'd go to class three three to four days a week, or sometimes you know five days a week. But then we'd stay after class. The instructor would give us a key and say, "Lock up when you're done," and we'd stay after class another three hours and do training. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, and that's how that's how you you advance. I mean, it's uh, it's one of the things that I, I find that if if you you're really you're really into it, mm-hmm. it's not a hardship. Nobody has to tell you to train. Yeah, it, you just do it. You just you want to get better. You're you're you know enthusiastic. You, you're you're very much you know it's it's in it's bitten. Uh, it's it's chewed a part of your soul basically, like and taken its place. Like, okay, this is my thing. This yeah. is what I need to be doing in life. Uh, and if you're at that point, nobody ever had to tell me to train harder. Right. There was no need. I would do that all by myself. That's cool. All right. Yeah. How about a favorite martial arts video game? Were you ever a gamer? Oh, yeah. I'm still a gamer. I don't nice. have enough time to do that. <laughs> but um, I actually, <laughs> it, it, martial arts, does a fight game count? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, that would be uh, Marvel versus Capcom. Oh, okay, cool. Because I'm a, I, I used to be a huge comic book fan, mm-hmm. uh, very much a fan of Wolverine. Uh, back in the day when I was a teenager, I would buy the comics. I still have them somewhere in storage. Nice. And um, he was my favorite character to play with. Okay. <laughs> and I, like and I would, I would be pretty much win uh, with that character. And it's just so I remember playing the very first Street Fighter game in the arcades. Mm-hmm. That was a revolutionary thing yeah. back then. And it was very simple. I mean, the, the one I played still had the huge buttons on the machine that you had. That the harder you slammed down on the button, the harder your character punched. <laughs> yep. Then, and then afterwards, they had normal buttons that you could just tap and, and, and get the, the, right, the, the right kind of punch or kick. So mm-hmm. that was my experience. And I thought it was awesome. Oh, yeah. But then you see the evolution to what it is now, and you have like combo counter, combo, combo breaker. You have all these all these different keystrokes and combinations you have to remember. Same thing with Mortal Kombat that mm-hmm. my son's uh, he had on his PlayStation. I'm like, this is too complex for me. <laughs> yeah. Like and, and Marvel versus Capcom was kind of like the balance for me. Like, okay, I can remember this stuff and just and still enjoy the game. Yeah. And obviously, you know, superheroes, that was fun. Mm-hmm. I know. I, I miss just having a joystick and a button. <laughs> yeah. So much simpler <laughs> and so much more fun those days. But <laughs> so uh, You're right. <laughs> so as a, as a Wolverine fan, are you excited then for Deadpool 3? 
We get to see oh, Wolverine oh, yeah. again. <laughs> we, my, I took my kids to the first Deadpool uh, movie in, in the cinema, and I mean, and I laughed so hard <laughs> yep. because there were some scenes that I knew what they were talking about, and they didn't because they never read the comics. Mm-hmm. And I, I just laughing my ass off. Yeah, and um, and they enjoyed it too. And then since then, uh, I mean, th- there's this this cartoon of Deadpool where it says it's like a cartoon version of him with his swords and it says maximum effort. So for years, I've been sending that via, via messenger to my kids when they have exams or something like that. Nice. Maximum effort. That's uh, cool. So huge fan. Not quite sure how much training Hugh Jackman can still do at his age to, yeah. to look ripped, but I, I saw he has the yellow uh, costume now. Yeah, that's cool. So it's kind of hidden. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, I like the first one. Second one was also great. Yep. So I hope that they can still have the same uh, vibe to the third one. I hope so. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So. All right. How about a favorite martial arts TV show? Uh, let me think. But uh, I, I watched Into the Badlands a while ago. And I, I enjoyed show. that. Yeah. The, there was some stuff, you know, with um, with, with the writing that, that eventually got like, hmm. Yeah. I have Warrior, I have on my list, yep. but I haven't started it yet. Another great it's show. Just a, just a matter of time. And I'm trying to think back because I haven't watched that many the last few years. Not quite sure which one I'd pick then. Okay. Any any as a as a kid that stand out that you watched? Well, I, I did watch uh the original Kung Fu series okay. back then, but I didn't know anything. Yeah. And it just just you know now that uh David Carradine was not the greatest martial artist ever. No. Um, he actually has a, has a Tai Chi video out that yep. is horrible. Watch, yeah, I but, saw that. You know. uh, anyway, um, and they did a lot of slow motion stuff to hide the fact that he wasn't a great martial artist. Yes. But that was fun. Um, if if we can we can add in anime. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. I really enjoyed, enjoyed the Knights of the Zodiac. Okay. Uh, and I recently saw the the movie that they made out of it, the live action movie with Mark DeCascos, who has a, has a small part in it. Okay. Um, very different from the anime, but that was fun. And I watched that very much as a kid. And then uh, Fist of the North, North Star. That nice. was my favorite. Okay. Very, very blood and guts and gore. Yeah. But um, just the whole mythology that was, you know, into the martial arts. Just, I mean, complete nonsense, obviously. Not realistic mm-hmm. uh, at all. But it, it, uh, Fun. it had this very nice <laughs> mythology and the way everything was set up. And, and yeah. just this big quest that he was, that Kenshiro was on to... Uh, to find his uh, his loved one and so on. Um, I enjoyed that that a lot. Okay, good. How about a favorite martial arts movie? That would have to be The Matrix. <sighs> okay. it's. I know it's a little bit older. I know mm-hmm. it's not fully martial arts, but I remember seeing that movie in, in the theaters, and it was like the scene in which Neo, one of the first times, is plugged back in again, and Lawrence Fishburne's character says, you know, welcome to the desert of the real. <laughs> And there's just total silence in the theater. It's like, oh my God. And then it's like, okay. And he starts training. He's like, I know Kung Fu. Show me. <laughs> and again, people have to know, like nowadays it, it looks maybe antiquated, but back yeah. then just special effects were like, oh my God, awesome. Yeah. That was like it's unheard of. And um, I, I really liked it because uh, I think it's uh, Yu Wen Ping uh, is the fight choreographer. Yes. Yep. Who worked on a lot of the Hong Kong movies. And you could see his influence in there. And um, clearly the actors were not, you know, trained martial artists, but it did spend months in, in training and rehearsal. And I think they did a good job. And it was a, a good balance between basically the world that was created, the science fiction world that was created, and then blending in something very traditional like the martial arts they would portray. Nice. And overall, just a great story. Yes, yes. Cool. All right. Final question. Now, this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie, just a favorite movie fight scene. Oh, God. <laughs> there's, there's so many. There's so many. I have to, I have to think now. Uh, see if I'm, if I'm more blanking on anything. I wouldn't say favorite because it's, um, it's always difficult to, to have an absolute favorite. Right. But there's a bunch of, of fight scenes in the second Blade movie that I really liked. And uh, the, the the one at the end where uh, was the Snipes fights, uh, what's it, uh, Nomak, I think is, mm-hmm. is, uh, is a character. 
and just the the whole setup uh, working towards the end and and you know he he was getting basically his ass beat uh, before so they're like how's he gonna do that and the, the special effects weren't great mm-hmm. that's a little bit of a downer but overall I, I enjoyed it a lot I, I very I, I love vampire stuff uh, movies books uh, and so on so I very much enjoy those and I think Wesley Snipes is the best blade ever I yeah. I know. What's his name? Uh, Marshall Holly Ali is going apparently going to take over the character, but yep. that movie seems to be in limbo now. So who knows what's going to happen with Marvel movies? Yeah, um, he's a good actor. I just wish they would have picked a martial yeah. artist. Yeah, but that that scene for me was was a, it's a really fun fight scene. It's yeah. just over the top, but still you know has the right amount of tension. And so again, this, it's a personal favorite of mine. Okay. I'm sure I can think of others, but uh, hey, that's a good pick. I, mean, I like it. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> well, before I let you go, is there anything that maybe I forgot to ask you or you want to make sure we mention before we wrap it up? Um, not really. I think we got quite a bit of ground. I, I hope the, the listener enjoyed uh, us talking. If they want to want to see the blog, it's, it's whimsblog.com. And okay. there you can find all my social media stuff and, and so on. I'm, I'm fairly active on social media. Uh, if people are interested in the Tai Chi that I do, I do have a membership site. It's called onlinetaichichuan.com. And and that is basically the closest thing to being in class with me. I teach the way that I teach beginners. I think there's over a hundred videos on there right now. Wow. So um, okay. the point that I try to make is is that I'm always very happy when somebody reads something that I do or watches a video or whatever, and they're like, "Okay, this is helpful." Uh, and if if I can do that, then I'm happy. I I will never be able to travel the world and see tens of thousands of people like, let's say, Dani Nosanto has done in his lifetime. Right. But I can hopefully reach more people with my writing and videos and so on. That's cool. So uh, if anybody's interested, it's fine. And, and if not, that's great. I mean, if people totally disagree with everything I said to you today, <laughs> that is fine too. It's a very big world mm-hmm. and more than one thing can be true at the same time. So that, that is fine. Definitely. And I'll put links out there for all your stuff also when the episode comes out. But I've, I've, I've so enjoyed this. Like I said, I very recommended you and I'm glad he did. I, I, I love your story. Yeah, you're, you're, I love how you explain things and, and I'm definitely going to check out some of your books and, and I'm uh, probably going to also reach out to Lauren as a possible guest too. <laughs> He's a good, good suggestion there. So I might reach out to him, but I, I've enjoyed this so much and I, I can't wait till the episode comes out. That, that'll be great. Uh, me too. And I'll, I'll make sure that, that I'll, uh, I'll let everybody know that we talked. Uh, I haven't done that many podcast interviews the last few years. Uh, so, uh, this was a uh, refreshing for me to be on the other side of the microphone. That was fun. I always enjoy it. I, I love talking martial arts and it's, it's good hearing other, other versions and other people's ideas and thoughts. And, and I, that's why I keep doing this. Excellent. Excellent. All right. You have yourself a good day. Okay. You too, Ryan. Thanks. Thanks for listening to everyday martial artists. We hope you will join us every week for a brand new episode with a different martial artist telling their story. If you enjoy the show, be sure to leave us a review. Also be sure to check out our website at everydaymartialartist.com. There you can find all of our episodes and contact us to suggest guests and ask questions. Again, thanks for listening to everyday martial artists and we'll see you next week.